Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. text open to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 22 this morning, the fruit of the Spirit. And in particular, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I think I would have made a pretty good disciple. Debbie's laughing, but it's true. I would have... No, what are you laughing at? I think I would have made a pretty good disciple. I mean, after all, I was raised in the church. I uh, can't remember a time when I didn't go to church. Uh, I learned the Bible stories, went to Sunday school. I was a sunbeam. I mean, I, I am just so deeply immersed in the church that it's not even funny. Learned the Bible verses, knew the story of Jesus, and... Um, I think I would have been a pretty good disciple, you know, because when Jesus would come and say, you know, come follow me, you know, leave your model ships and follow me, I would, <laughs> and I will make you a model disciple. But, uh, uh, but I, I, I would have gone. I've always liked Jesus. You know, he's always been a pretty cool guy in my book. And uh, I, I think I would have done well uh, with uh, traveling around with him. Uh, dealing with the crowds, I, I wouldn't have been so good good with because uh, they, you know, they always got in the way of, of that little private time with Jesus that we always like. Uh, but I would have been a pretty good disciple. I, I might have had a little bit of a problem with James and John, you know, the sons of thunder. I'm not a thunder kind of guy, and and so they might have bugged me a little bit, especially that thing about wanting to be on the left side and the right side of Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. That. Um, to be honest with you, that ticked me off just a little bit, um, uh, but uh, especially because they didn't know what I knew, and that was that I was going to be uh, at, the, at the right side of Jesus. When the, because I, after all, I had more education. I grew up in church, and who are these guys? I mean, after all. So I think I would have been a really good, good disciple uh, in, in those kinds. Yeah, there, there, you know, there, there were the times, you know, when the, the kids were coming and, and the parents were coming and they wanted to see Jesus. And, um, I, I just told them what was true. I just said, you know, uh, these kids are kind of like in the way they make a lot of noise. Uh, we do have a nursery. You can take the kids there. I mean, what do you want them here for? And, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, you remember he said, uh, he said, Wayne, let them, let them come. Don't be a hindrance to them. I didn't like the way he singled me out like that, but I forgave Jesus for that. <laughs> I forgave him, and because uh, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty big-hearted kind of guy, so I think I would have been a, a really good disciple. And then the night came when we were all together having dinner for the Passover. The first thing Jesus did was he got up and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel in one hand and a basin of water in the other and he started washing our feet. I mean, he, he started a little bit away from me and I thought, fine, he'll wash, you know, Peter's feet or... James's feet, and that'll be an object lesson made, okay? 
He kept going around and he kept washing feet. And he came to mind. I have nice feet, but they're not that nice. And Jesus started washing my feet. And as he did so, he looked at me, and I felt like the woman at the well. He knew everything I'd ever done. He knew the people I had hated. He knew the people I had despised. He knew the people that I looked down on, and he knew the people I had wronged. And he washed my feet. I couldn't get over that. Later on, I found out that Judas Iscariot, even at that moment, was, was getting ready to betray Jesus. And Judas was there. And Jesus washed the feet of Judas, like the rest of us. And then Jesus got up and put his robe back on. And he said this to us. He said, you call me Lord and Master. You're right. That's what I am. But if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. I don't know why, but at that moment all I could see was the man I hated. I saw the disciples I despised. I saw people I couldn't stand. And here was Jesus telling me, wash their feet. And then later on that night, he said something else that really got to me. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. That is that you love one another. On my good days, I liked the other guys. On my really good days, I could tolerate them, sort of. You know, if I was really clicking on the, on the spiritual thing, I could, I could put up with them. But he said I had to love them. And then he said this. He said, here's how everyone will know that you're a disciple of mine if you love one another. That's how they're going to tell, if you love one another. Now, here's the problem I've got. Love doesn't come real naturally to me. Love, love comes in, in, in little tiny packages to me. I mean, I, I love a certain number of people, and and I, I, I love some folks who are close to me and love the kids and the grandchildren and love the wife. But the rest of you are just so hard to love. <laughs> you say things that hurt my feelings. And you do things that make me wonder if you care about me at all. And there are so many times when, I, when I'm, I'm around other people and I just know that I'm the good influence and they're the bad influence and it's all the work is all on my side. I find it hard to love people. And here's Jesus saying, love one another. 
They won't be able to tell if you're a disciple or not if you don't love one another. It's at that moment that I knew I was, the technical term for it is sunk. There was no hope for me. There was no way that I could love the way Jesus wanted me to love. A few days later, I found out what love was. I found out what love was because, you know, sometimes we're willing to die for a righteous cause or for a righteous man. You know, there are people who give their lives for our country, and our country is, is, is a worthwhile nation. And, and when people give their lives for it, how humbled we are. And so there are, there are some... Not all, but some who are willing to put their lives on the line for a righteous cause and for a worthy reason. You know, and, and with a little bit of, of convincing, maybe, maybe we would consider giving up our lives for, for a good man. But God commendeth his love toward us. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there on the cross, the same as that, that evening in the upper room, I didn't hear a lecture about love. I didn't hear a three-point sermon about love with an illustration for each point and a tearful, moving poem to end it all as we go into Just As I Am. That, that, that day at the cross, I didn't see someone giving me the philosopher's opinion about what love is and how it should operate. I did not see there some self-helping life coach trying to explain to me how I could have more, more love in my life. What I saw there on the cross was the Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, the one who, to whom belongs all glory, honor, and praise. I saw him die, and he died for me. I can't get over that. I can't get past that. And when I walk into the room with that person that I hated, Jesus died for him. Who am I to hate anyone that Jesus loves that much? Who am I to hold a grudge and to be bitter towards anyone for whom the Son of God gave up his life? Who am I to decide that, that that person who hurt my feelings, well, I'll just be cold and indifferent to? Who am I to be cold and indifferent to someone for whom the Prince of Heaven came down from his glory and suffered the shame of the cross? There on the cross, I saw the love of God. And I'll tell you what happens. You stop thinking and you start being. You stop trying to figure it out and you start living it out. When you see Jesus and you know Jesus and you are overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, 
It radically changes who you are. And suddenly, you cannot hate again. You cannot ever be bitter again. That's why love, this kind of love in Galatians is called the fruit of the Spirit. See, we've been in this book a long time. You've known it, I've known it, this day was coming. The love of God in Christ Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's something the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It's not a little program where you, where you have five easy steps to being filled with the love of God and step one, a little bit of love, step two. Now, it's a radical work of the Holy Spirit who takes away the old sin nature and gives you new life in Christ, born again, a new creation in Jesus. It's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's why Paul says it's a fruit of the Spirit. See, in Galatians, he was talking to and about uh, three kinds of folks. He's, he's presenting to us the authentic gospel. The gospel that isn't about manipulating God so he gives me what I want. Not a gospel where I, I give a little to God and he's obligated contractually to bless me ten to a hundredfold. Not a, not a gospel that says, well, you're in by grace but you stay by works. Not a gospel that says that, that Jesus died for your sins to give you the opportunity to work real hard so you can better yourself and then be saved. Not the gospel that said that you enter into the kingdom by virtue of your own intellect, by virtue of your own understanding. Not a gospel of race that says because of your birth and because of your heritage, that puts you into the kingdom but the gospel that says we are saved by the grace of God appropriated through faith. This is the work of the Holy Spirit who changes us and remakes us and remolds us. This is all the work of God. It begins with grace. It continues with grace. And it ends with grace. It's grace start to finish. It's grace the whole way through. And that's why this, is, this, this verse tells us that love is the fruit of the Spirit and of what God does. See, Paul had been talking about three kinds of folks. He'd been talking, first of all, about the person who walks in religion. Remember that? He had he'd shared the gospel with the Galatian Christians. They had received Christ. Some folks came in and said, well, that, that's nice that you have Jesus, but you also need to be a child of Abraham. You need to adhere to the traditions of Israel. You need to keep the law, the Sabbath law, dietary law, cir circumcision, the, the, the temple laws, all those kinds of things. You, you, you need to do those things too because Jesus died for your sins. That's great, that's great, but now you need to go on by your own keeping of the law. Paul said, absolutely not. To those walking in religion, he said, you've missed the whole point. God has never been about religion. God has never been about what we do to buy God off. God has never been about a religion of manipulating him. God has never been about religion. And so he wrote to the folks who, who were 
sort of buried in, in religion. That, that was chapters 3 and 4. You remember that. And, and he talked about that, you know, the, the, the real sons of Abraham aren't those who are religious sons of Abraham. It's those who are faithful and believe the promises of God and just accept the grace of God flowing into their lives the way Abraham did by faith. That, that's, that's what it means to be a, a son of Abraham, a child of Abraham, really. And so he talked to those who were walking by religion. That, that speaks to us so, so strongly. Like I said, I was a good disciple because I was religious. It took the cross to shake me out of religion. It took the cross to set me free from thinking it was about religion. See, religion makes you judgmental. Religion makes you uh, puffed up and boastful. Religion makes you think that you are doing something more than others are doing and that, and that whatever God does to bless you, that's because you're a great sort of person. That, that's religion. And so Paul talked to those who were walking in religion. He said, that is not authentic gospel. And then he wrote to those who were walking in rebellion. We looked at that last week. He said, you know, the, the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, they're evident. You, you, you just see what they are. And, and just some horrendous things. He says, but this is where you're headed when you're doing a solo act without God. This is where you're headed when you are leaving God out as sovereign over your life, when you're in rebellion against God. When you just turn towards him and apathetically don't even care about him at all. So when you walk in rebellion against God, he says, that, that's just going to lead you to all kinds of things that are destructive to who you are and destructive to, to the person that God designed you to be. So he talked to those walking in religion, and he talked to those who were walking in rebellion. But now he's talking to those who walk in relationship, those who know Jesus and who walk with him. That, that's why he says in, in, in this passage of Scripture, in, in verse 16, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit. Why walk by the Spirit? Because the Spirit is the one who brought us to Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who convicted us of our sins. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God when you were moved to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that brought to you the, the courage of, of faith to make that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that came to you and made you realize that this Jesus, Son of God, is your Savior, not yours only, the Savior of all. See, so, so it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, you, you started by the Holy Spirit. You, you were saved by the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Keep living by the Spirit. If it's the Holy Spirit that works in your life to bring that salvation to reality and who you are, then it's the Holy Spirit that will keep you walking and doing and being where God wants you to be. So he says, walk by the Spirit, not by law, not by the desires of the flesh. But walk by the Spirit. So he says, you know, the desires of the flesh, that, that's pretty evident. It's pretty evident. But there's something called the fruit of the Spirit. It's what God's Holy Spirit does in your life. Now, you've heard about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, sometimes called the manifestations of the Spirit. Paul talks about those in, in, in several places. The, uh, uh, the, the key place is probably in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. List the, the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, it's, it's things like a, a wisdom and knowledge and uh, uh, faith and gifts of healing and miracles and prophecy. 
on, and uh, discernment, and then uh, he mentions tongues and the interpretation of tongues. You know, we get all, you know, all excited about the gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, what is my gift? You know, uh, I, I need the gift of the Spirit. And, and rightly so. Look, I'm going to tell you what your gift is. I can tell you what your gift is. Here, here's what the Holy Spirit has given you. Find what needs to be done and do it. Find what needs to be done and do it. For whatever God calls you to do, he will give you the resources to accomplish it. You know, I mentioned growing up in the church. We didn't talk much about gifts back then. We talked about responsibilities. You know, and we didn't talk about what do I like to do. We talked about what needs to be done. And God's Holy Spirit gives each of us the capacity to fit into the body of Christ in a way that is joined together for his glory so that the whole work gets done. Now, we don't all have the same gift. Not all of us have a tremendous gift of preaching. Yeah, okay, you're thinking none of us have the gift of preaching right now. Okay. You know, I've known people who had a great gift of wisdom. Yeah. They, they were the kind of people, and, and uh, Debbie knows, I, I could call the name right now. But it's, it's, it, it, it was a person that, that I, I honestly said, I said, if I was ever in a discussion with this man and he disagreed with me, I would stop and ask why, because he had such wisdom. Such wisdom. I've known people with a gift of prayer. Now, we all pray. We all have a responsibility of prayer. But there's some people when they pray, it just seems like the roof comes off and the prayers go straight up to heaven. The answer comes straight down. You know people like that, don't you? We all pray, but some have that gift of prayer to to encourage the rest of us. The gift of faith is like that. And and on and on it goes. So we all have a gift. We all are gifted by the Holy Spirit. But the, the point is we don't have the same gift. The fruit of the Spirit we all have. The, gift, the, the fruit of the Spirit is given to all. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit does. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring about this love. See, our temptation, our temptation, we do this because we're human. Our temptation is to take this list of the fruit of the Spirit and to say, you know, those are things that I need to do more of. Have you ever done this? I'm going to practice the fruit of the Spirit. Now you're thinking about it, you realize how, how odd that sounds. I'm going to practice the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to have more joy in my life. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm just going to decide. I'm going to be optimistic all the time, and I will just be happy, 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 happy. And, and you know, and that works fine until you have the nervous breakdown. You know, oh, oh, this is the easy one. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Well, I'm just going to be more patient. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be more patient. You know how long that lasts. You don't even get out of the door in the morning before you, you know, okay, I'll work on that tomorrow. You see, you can't sneak in legalism through the back door. You can't bring the law in through the back door you know, and say, you know, God won't love you until you do the fruit of the Spirit. God won't love you very much until you do the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, of the Spirit in you. Okay? 
This is what God does in us. That's why, you know, for me, I suspect for you, but for me, if the fruit of the Spirit, that is love, is going to be seen in my life, it's not going to happen because I get a better attitude. Folks, you're going to wait a long time for me to get a better attitude. Debbie's been waiting all our married life. But, uh, you know, you're not going to see the fruit of love in my life because I just bore down and I tried harder and I clicked my heels and clapped my hands and and I just just did more love things. I'll tell you when you see love in my life. It's when somebody named Wayne dies and somebody named Jesus lives. That's when you see love. Paul talked about that. Here it is. It's in Galatians 2, 20. Remember this verse? This comes at the second where Paul's talking about his personal experience of the gospel. And in Galatians 2, 20, he says this. He says, I have, I, that sinner guy, that, that, that guy who was in rebellion against God, that guy who cared nothing about Jesus, he says, that person, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. That's why we're not about religion. We're about Jesus. No. We're not about self-help and life coaching. We're about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know, once you get that in your head, that, that's just going to sort of transform how you live as a believer in Christ. It won't be something that you're trying to do to please God so that he'll love you back, but rather it'll be the response of worshipful praise to God that you might honor and glorify him by reflecting who his son is. So Paul says, I've, I've been crucified with Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I tell you, I can just see Paul dictating the letter. He probably dictated this to an amanuensis. And he's he's walking in the room and he's dictating this letter to the Galatians. And he comes to that point, he says, you know, but in the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then he stops. Who loved me? Who loved me? This is impossible. Who loved me? You see, some of you struggle with this love thing. I know you do. You struggle with it from a couple of angles. One is you struggle with the idea that God would love you at all. You know, somewhere along the line, I don't know, it might have been childhood trauma, it might have been the, the, the circumstances of life, it might have been something that you, that you heard and growing up in a church about, about uh, you know, God only loves good little boys and girls. I don't know what it is, but you've got it in your head that, that God can't love me, not the way I am. And you haven't told anybody this because it is so deep inside of you, you you're, you're almost afraid to tell anybody. I've got this hidden secret. The thoughts that go through my head, the things that I feel, the things that I experience. I tell you, when I I watch the people in church, none of them are going through that. (laughs) And you're convinced God can't love you. 
You're convinced that somehow you're the only human being on the face of the planet that is too far gone for God to love. Who loved me? God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. God pours his love, pours his love into our hearts. You saw the the, the video about the, the folks sitting around pouring buckets of cold water on their heads? I didn't know that many people were drunk and needed to sober up, but uh, then I turned the sound on. I found out what it was. But uh, just imagine God pouring his love over you, pouring his love into your life, just flooding who you are with his love. How do we know this? Because Jesus Christ died for us. We know this. And you can't argue with it. Beloved, You don't need to wonder if you're lovable anymore. Christ died for you. Christ died for you. Some of you are struggling with the the love thing from the other side of it is that you're just finding it real hard to love certain people. I, I know a lot about that. You're finding it hard to love them because they have hurt you so badly and they have wounded you so deeply and you are so broken and so wounded that you're, you, you feel fortunate you, you can love anybody at all, much less that person. I don't need to name them. You can name it right now in your mind. You know exactly who I'm talking about. You say, God, I know you love me, but I, I, I tell you, I draw the line. There's some things you can't ask me to do. And one of them is to love, and one of them is to forgive that thing, that person, that deed, that which was done. And then Jesus on his hands and knees in front of you looks up from his towel and basin, and he looks into your eyes, and you see what he had to forgive in you. You see where his love took him for you. And it's not that I want to run and forgive and run and love and run and and mend the broken relationship so that then God will love me. It is God has loved me first. And because he loves me first, then his love compels me to love and to forgive that person who has wounded me. Some of you have just broken hearts. And I don't mean that, you know, the the romantic broken heart. Maybe it is that way. But you have broken hearts because the love just isn't working for you. And it's not working because you don't know Jesus. You don't know him well enough. You don't know and love him well enough yet. So the scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's saying, this is what the Spirit does. I mean, one thing about the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of what I have done. It's not the fruit of what I've accomplished. It's the fruit of what God is doing in His Holy Spirit. This is why we believe in the Holy Spirit. If, if, If the Bible were all about, here's what you can do to make God happy, we would all be condemned. I mean, this would be a torturous way to live. If all the Bible ever did was say, Here, here's, here's what you can uh, do, and then God will take notice of you, and he might overlook some things. The Bible is about what God does for us in Christ. 
It's the Holy Spirit that conforms us to the image of his dear son. That's why we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's why when, when we're doing these things and you look and say, that is impossible. For me to love that person, for me to forgive that person is impossible. Yes, it is for you. But with God, nothing's impossible. The Holy Spirit, nothing's impossible. That's why we believe in the Holy Spirit around here. I, you know, there's so many times when, when we, we, you know, we don't know what to do. and We don't know how to get it done. We don't know where the resources are coming from. We don't know how it's going to work out. We just know that God has asked us to do it. And we turn to one another. What do we say? This is why we believe in the Holy Spirit. Because what God calls us to do, he gives us the resources to do it. When God calls you to love, he gives you the loving resources to do it. You know? Now, what does that look like? And what does that look like? Well, it's, it's the love of God in Christ revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to know Christ. You need to know. It just starts there. Yeah. All the reasons you have why you never gave your life to Jesus, they, they, just, they just fall away at the foot of the cross. You just need Jesus in your life. Then you need to know him, and you need to know more and more and more about him. Who is it that knows everything about Jesus so far? Hands? Somebody was asleep in the back. They heard the word hands, and they're oh. <laughs> But here's what it looks like. It looks like spending time in the Word. Not so that you can prove to God you're a scholar, but so you can see Jesus more and more and more. So you know Him more. So that the Word of God becomes saturated in your mind. So that you start to think in biblical categories and see in biblical categories and act in biblical categories. Not because you've got this program of self-help, 12-step way to know the fruit of the Spirit, but rather because Jesus Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit was given to you and the Spirit of God now working in your life, getting you to know who Jesus is and conform you to the image of God's dear Son. That's what it's looking like. That's what it looks like. Uh, So we we look at this, the, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. You know, we're going to stay in the same rut we're in for the rest of our lives. Till we get this straight in our minds. We're going to stay in the same mentality and the same bitterness and the same anger and the same, the same ineffectual living. We're going to stay in the same confusion. We're going to stay in the same sense of bewilderment and defeat. We're going to stay there until we get it in our minds that the Christian gospel, the authentic gospel, is about what God has done for us in Christ, not about what we have done for God. And as a result of what God has done for us, our lives are, our, our lives are lived for him. You know, the, the, if, if you know Christ, you live for him. But you're living in response, not as a bargaining chip. Okay. The fruit of the Spirit is love. When you believe in Christ, God pours his Holy Spirit, he pours his love into your life. My prayer this morning is that you'll just let go. Just let go and let the Spirit work in your life. You know, he he might bring you to see some things you don't want to see. I mean, it's it's not easy to see the hatred in your heart. It's not easy to see the bitterness in your heart. It's not easy to see the the, the kind of of rancor and 
you know, those kinds of dark things that are in our hearts. It's not easy to see it, but I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit shows you your sin, the Holy Spirit shows you the beauty of Christ on the cross and your sin. You know, the, the bliss, the absolute joy of this thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That's why love, the love of God for us in Christ, is the fruit of the Spirit. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, I, I'm just praying for the work of your Spirit now. It's something we cannot cause, but something, Father, that you give. And I pray for that life this morning that does not know Jesus, that this would be the moment. Father, that there would be a conviction, a real conversion and a confession. Father, I pray for the brother and sister in Christ who has sunk into the depths of religion. I pray you would set my brother and my sister free in the Spirit, free to take an honest look and to have an honest faith. Father, for your glory, I pray you'd work among us in these next few moments that by the power of your spirit, your love, your grace would be made known. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy.